I'm going to pray for us, and uh, we're going to open God's word together. Lord, we love you so much, and we thank you for your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. And as we just hit pause for a moment to reflect on you, and we hit pause to, to open your word, Lord, I pray that whatever we carried in, whatever's going on in our life, that we would know that breakthrough is coming. God, that you are able to do more in our lives. Lord, we love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, you can be seated for a moment. High five somebody around you. Tell them good morning. It is so great to be with you today. My name is Pastor Nick Newman, and I want to say welcome. I hope that you are having an incredible day today. I hope you feel welcomed and loved and and uh, if you're a first-time guest with us, we want to let you know that we are excited that you're here. You could have picked anywhere to be at church this morning, and you picked Propel, so we're thankful for that. Church, would you help me welcome every person here for the first time? So we're excited that you're here. We are in the middle of a message series called Jesus at the Center. It's where we're talking about how do we structure our lives? How do we make sure we put Jesus at the center of everything? Because a lot of times in our life, it's really easy to not put Jesus at the center, to, to really give him one slot on this thing. And then we, we just kind of go through the motion and go through the process and, and we do all that stuff. And then we get to the place where God has his box and then we have ours. But today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how to put Jesus at the center of everything. I had some friends come down and hand you this 90-day giving challenge card. We do this a couple times a year. And what I want to talk to you today about is putting Jesus at the center of your finances. Now, a couple of years ago, I got incredibly overwhelmed in the area of finances. Like I was getting all stressed out, anxious about it. And if you could imagine for a moment with me this, this big circle. You remember on week one, we, we drew on this whiteboard and, and we had a circle. And, and I'd just write me at the center. And I've got all of these things that I'm responsible for paying for. Like I got this, this thing, I don't know if you, like a, like a house, you know, like some of y'all live in those and some of you don't. But, but I got a house and... And so that costs money. I don't have a mortgage. I, I pay rent. And then, you know, Verizon comes up every 30 days, and they want some money. And they, they seem to want a little more money every time they come. I've got Verizon, and i got a car payment. And, and, you know, I've got a lovely wife, and I like to take her out on dates and buy her stuff. Can I get a good name? Like, I love to do this. That costs some money. And, and I don't know about you. Maybe you're here and, and you no longer have cable. Maybe you do have cable. Maybe you've cut the cord and you are, you got Netflix and Hulu. All these bills kind of begin to pile up in our lives. And then, you know, I don't know, you got to eat, right? So we, you factor food in there and all this stuff. And it becomes incredibly overwhelming. What I want to do today, I want to teach you a principle that comes straight from God's word that teaches you and I how to put Jesus at the center of our finances. And it's summed up in this one world called tithing. It's where you and I give 10% of our income back to God, where we trust him with 10% of our income. Now, before we dive into this message today, here's what I want you to know. I'm not gonna deliver this message today because the church needs your money. Truthfully, it doesn't matter to me whether or not you give. I believe in this principle wholeheartedly and know that if you trust God with your finances, he is faithful to bless you. As a church, we're faithful stewards with what God's given us. We operate on about 80% of what comes in, and we do that intentionally because I never want to stand up here on a Sunday and go, hey, church, I gotta, we got we to gotta raise up an offering. We need some money. 
What I want to do is help you and I understand principles that we find in God's word to be able to say, hey, God, because you've given me everything, I'm going to be faithful and trust you with it. So today we're going to talk about finances, and I want to do it in a little bit of an unconventional way. If you have a Bible, go with me to Genesis chapter 22. But as we get ready to talk about tithing, here's the first thing I want you to know. I know that tithing is a difficult concept, to give 10% of your income. Some of you guys are thinking about, man, just how much that would be right now, and it gets a little bit overwhelming. So if you're taking notes, first thing I have for you this morning is that tithing requires faith. Tithing requires faith. Yeah, it's incredibly difficult to go, okay, God, I'm going to just trust you with 10% of my income, or I'm going to give you 10% of my income, but that's because you and I were never intended to just do this on our own. If we were doing it in our own strength, based on our own efforts and our own abilities, it wouldn't be trusting God. Tithing requires faith. And when I think about that, it takes me back to the story of this guy named Abraham. And Abraham had been waiting on this promise. If you go, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 22, but if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, we see that God gives Abraham this promise. He says, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go, leave your family, leave your friend, like leave everybody, go to the land that I'll show you, and I'll make you a great name. Like I'll give you descendants, and, and I'll do things in your life that you never thought were possible. And Abraham goes, hey, God, that's cool, but you know, like... In order to make my name great, in order for me to have descendants, I have to have a son. Abraham had been waiting. He's like 70 years old now, and he's going, God, I still don't have a son yet. I need a son. And God says, I'm going to give you a son. And, and they keep going a little further in life, and, and he hits that 80 mark, and he goes, hey, you know, hey, God, at some point, stuff stops working. Like, I need a son. And he goes and continues on over and over again going, God, I, I need this, I need this. And God goes, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you a son. And finally, Abraham has this breakthrough moment. God gives him a son. He blesses him with a child. And then the, as that boy is growing up, God approaches Abraham again. Genesis chapter 22, this is what it says. Now, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. I told the first worship at the 9 a.m. That, that faith that is not tested is faith that can't be trusted. So, come on, y'all got to amen. That's a good word. Okay, 9 a.m. Turn to some, y'all 10.30. Turn to somebody and say, good morning. Turn to another person and say, amen. Now I know you're awake, so you can do it while I'm teaching God's word. So sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. If you and I have faith that has not been tested, it can't be trusted. Faith will always be tested. James talks about the testing of our faith, that, that in that testing, it, it produces this beautiful gift. And, and once we've been tested and approved, we receive the crown of life that God has promised for him. So God comes to him and says, yeah, Abraham, you're the guy who they call the, the father of our faith. And, and with that big faith, we're going to test it right now. God called him and he said, yes, here I am. Verse two, take your son, yes, your only son, Isaac, the one whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. He says, what I want you to do is, is you, you know that firstborn kid, like the only son you have? I want you to do something with him. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains to which I'll show you. In this moment, what God is asking from Abraham is a tithe. 
to give back the first. So it says the next morning, Abraham woke up and he saddled his donkey and took two of his servants along with him and his son Isaac. And then they chopped wood for the burnt offering and they set out to the place that God had told him about. Could you imagine how like awkward and uncomfortable Abraham must have been telling his wife where they're going? He says, Sarah, we're, we're going on a camping trip, but he knows he's going to sacrifice his one and only son. This is, not a diff, this is not an easy thing. This is a very difficult thing, and it required a lot of faith on Abraham's end in order to take the step to actually do it. So Abraham saddles everything up. They, they pack up all the firewood, and, and they set out. And then Scripture tells us that on the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up, and he saw this place in the distance. He said, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood on the burnt offering for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Dad, yes, my son. That's how Abraham talks. Abraham replied, we have fire and wood, the boy said, but where's the sheep for the offering? So Isaac ain't no dummy. He's like, he's like Dad, Dad, you're taking it. We're going to do an offering, and, and uh, we ain't got no sheep. So Isaac's catching on, and, and then it says this, that verse 8, it said, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham answered, and they walked together. I want to show you a couple of things that I see in this it shows us that tithing requires faith. It required Abraham to have faith to know that God was going to be faithful through the whole process. Abraham saddles everything up. He's heading to a place to sacrifice his own son. And the scripture tells us that he tells his servants that we will worship there and then we will return. I've always thought that word was really interesting. The fact that he would look at his servants and he wouldn't say, we're going to make a sacrifice. He says, we will worship, and we will return. Why does he call it worship? Because worship is returning back to God what's rightfully his. So in the area of our life, when you, Romans teaches us, Romans 12, 1 and 2, to give your bodies, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's what worship looks like. It's to say, God, because you've given it to me, I'm going to give it back to you. And when you and I get into the area of tithing and we start looking at our finances and we look at what God has given us and the increase that we have in our life, what we're doing is we're saying, God, we're going to worship because we're going to give back to you what you first gave to us. So Abraham is going through this process and he, he says that we will worship there, but then he doesn't just say we'll worship there. He then says we will return. In other words, his expectation was that they're both coming back. He knew as he looks at Isaac, and he doesn't say on the journey, well, verse 8, sucks for you. <laughs> Sorry, we're going to sacrifice you. <laughs> some of you are like, you can't say that in church. I apologize. You can write an email to somebody about it later. <laughs> no, what he says when Isaac looks at him and says, hey, hey, where's the sacrifice? He says, look, son, I, I don't have all the answers right now, but here's what I do know. God will provide. It required Second thing, if you're taking notes, we will never understand this principle of tithing if we don't get this principle, which is this, that tithing is giving back to God what's rightfully his. 
Abraham realizes that he is not the owner of Isaac, he is simply the steward. Isaac was made, created, handcrafted in the image of God. The person who has ownership of Isaac is God. Abraham has simply been entrusted to steward Isaac. Let me say it another way. Parents, you are not the owners of your children because there is a God who loves your children more than you love your children. You are the steward of what you've been given. Abraham understands this, and I think something shifts in the area of our finances when you and I understand that we are the stewards of what we've been entrusted with. This is what Psalm 24, 1 through 2 says, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Turn to somebody and say everything. Turn to that person you neglected and say everything. The world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. In other words, if God made it, God owns it. God never uses it. I, think, I was studying this stuff, and you know what I found so interesting? All throughout Scripture, God talks about money. We're talking about tithing, and, and you may feel like, well, Pastor, that's not really a, 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 you know, a, a New Testament thing. We see that a lot. In the Old Testament, this is, this is in my notes, like at the very end, this was stuff that didn't make the cut. If you get to it later, you go, go to Matthew 23, 23. It says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, so you tithe, but you've neglected much more important matters of the law, like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Verse 23, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So Jesus said, you should have tithed. Don't think tithing is just an Old Testament thing, but at the same time, don't neglect those who are poor and needy. When we understand that tithing is giving back to God what's rightfully his, it shifts us from owners to stewards. I'm not just uh, the owner of my finances. I'm the one who gets to manage what I've been entrusted with. And the interesting thing is all throughout Scripture when God talks about money, you know he never uses the word give. He always uses the word bring. Because you can't give somebody something that they already own. You simply return it. Next point that I have for you is that tithing is a first fruits principle. Tithing is a first fruits principle. Now, a lot of times, here's what we do in the area of finances. We go, we get our paycheck, or maybe you get an inheritance, or you've received an increase of money of some sorts. And we tend to just sit on it. Like, okay, God, you know, let me pay my bills and let me take care of Verizon. And, you know, I got that, you're 87 years old and you still got student loan debt. And so you're, you're paying that. <laughs> you said, amen. Still got student loan debt and you pay all your bills. And then you go, okay, okay, God, now you get your peace. If you've ever been to a birthday party, here's what you know. When you cut the cake for the birthday boy, birthday boy gets the first piece because it's a sign of honor. Tithing is a first fruits principle where we give God the first of what we've received. So I want to illustrate this point to you. I'm going to have some friends that help me with this illustration. Ran into my table. <laughs> so when you receive increase, so I got a bag of oranges. We've been Daniel fasting, which is some of us on the team, and that's where you don't get to eat meats, sweets, or bread. Y'all thought I took up CrossFit. I didn't. Whenever you receive an increase, you give God the first and you steward the rest. 
And so, God, I've received apples. Thank you so much for these apples. I'm not going to wait to figure out how much apples I've got. I'm going to say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to tithe to you. I'm going to give back to you what's rightfully yours. I'm going to give God the first, and then I'm going to steward the rest. I got celery. I wouldn't eat it, but it goes great with wings in Jesus' name. I'd kill for some chicken wings right now. When you trust God with your first, you get to enjoy the rest. Are you with me? So we give God the first. God, there's some carrots. I'm going to trust you with the first. And then I'm going to enjoy the rest. I'm going to steward the rest. This is a papaya. Maybe you've never seen a papaya. This is a papaya. God, thank you so much for this paycheck. And you might be thinking, yeah, but I worked for it. Yeah, but without the grace and favor of God, you wouldn't have the job that you do. Everything comes from God. So I give God the first, and I enjoy the rest. God, thank you so much for that inheritance. Thank you so much for that Christmas bonus. I I recognize that you are my provider, and I give God the first, and I steward the rest. This is what tithing looks like. It's to say, God, from the moment I receive increase, I give you the first, And I steward the rest. No matter what comes in. A lot of times we get caught up on, well, you know, is it it pre-tax? Is it it post-tax? What do I do with the tax return? Whenever I receive an increase, I go, God, thank you for the increase. I give you what's yours first. And I steward the rest. Cantaloupes. I don't like cantaloupes. But sometimes you'll get a gift that you don't like. With whatever your gift is, you give God the first and you steward the rest. And when we look, these are mangoes. When you look at the difference, can you see the difference in these two tables? When we look at it from this perspective, it seems a little complicated because I think we've made tithing a little too complicated. When I get to see the blessing and the favor of God, And what happens in my life when I trust God with my first and I steward the rest, something incredible happens. Now this 90% that's left over has the blessing and the favor of God. We're going to read a little bit more about that in just a second. But man, I believe, I believe in this concept of tithing because I've had to live it out in my own life. There were days, weeks, months, even seasons of my life where where there was no way I felt like I could trust God with the first and then steward the rest because there wasn't enough in the beginning for what I needed. But what happens when you trust God with the first and you steward the rest is he's able to do way more with 90 than you were ever able to do with 100. Genesis chapter 2, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 4 Verse 2 through 5 says this, When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. So Abel works in the field with sheep, and, and Cain is a harvester of crops. He's gathering fruit. He's gathering whatever else grows. Y'all can tell I'm not a farmer. It says then in verse 3, When it was time for harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portion. 
firstborn lamb from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. God rejects Cain because what Cain did is he gave it on his own terms. It didn't say that Cain brought the first to God. It says that he brought some of the things. He gave God the leftovers. And can I just tell you that God never settles for second best in your life. But Abel was different. Abel took the firstborn lamb. He said, God, I don't know if there's going to be any more sheep that come, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the first and trust that you're able to provide the rest. And you may be asking, man, how could God ask me to do something like this? Make no mistake, God never asked you to do something that he's not willing to do first. God chose to send his son Jesus. He didn't wait till he had, Scripture teaches us that God gave his one and only son. You want to look at a beautiful depiction? Look at the, the gospel of Jesus and look at what we read in Genesis chapter 22. I'm going to come back to the story of Abraham and Isaac because some of y'all are like, did he kill him? Did he not? We're going to get there. But what you and I see is that, that Jesus is the replacement for Isaac. That Abraham didn't have to sacrifice his one and only son because God would choose to sacrifice his one and only son. God didn't wait till there were 10 Jesuses in heaven until he had 10 more kids. He said, I'm going to give you my first and I'm going to give you my best in this life. Malachi 3.10 teaches us this. This is a, a common passage of scripture. It says, to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there might be food in my house. This is God speaking to these people. Earlier in this same passage of Scripture, in Malachi chapter 3, God has said, how could a mere mortal rob me except through tithes and offerings? In other words, when we talked earlier about how everything belongs to God, and God never uses the word give, he always uses the word bring, in the area of your finances, when it comes to your relationship with God, you will either be bringing back to God what's rightfully his or stealing from him. And you may say, Pastor, that sounds harsh, but here's, that's the truth of what we read in Scripture. And it would be wrong for me to twist it or manipulate it or, or just hide it from you. Scripture teaches us that in the area of finances, we either bring back to God what's rightfully his or we steal from him. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. There might be food in this. And then he gives this incredible invitation. He says, test me in this, says the Lord. He says, you probably won't do it, right? Like, but if you choose to do it, see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing so much that there won't even be enough room to store it. Here's what God says. God says, if you will bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and, and for some of you, you already tithe faithfully, but here's what I'll tell you. If you hold the rest of your 90 with a closed fist, you've removed the blessing of God from it. So we give back to God what's rightfully his. We bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. We say, God, we're going to trust you with the first. And when we do that, what Scripture teaches us is that he opens the floodgates of heaven and he pours out a blessing that you can't even contain. 
that when you and I trust God financially, he is able to do more than we ever thought was possible. And you and I have the ultimate invitation to say, God, I'm going to trust you with my first, knowing, write this point down, that when you trust God with your first, he covers the rest. If you keep reading in Malachi chapter 10, he goes on to talk about how he covers it and protects your finances. Some of you need to stop trying to protect your own finances because you will never be able to life-proof yourself. There's not a retirement account big enough that you can life-proof yourself in this world. You need the protection of God over your finances. And when you and I trust God with the first and we steward the rest, he pours out blessings that we never thought were possible because he's a God who is able to do things we never thought were possible. This is the concept of tithing. This is what we see in scripture, that we trust God with the first, we enjoy the rest, and he pours out blessings like we never thought were were possible. We'll pick up the story back in Genesis chapter 22. It says that when they arrived to the place where God had told him, Abraham built the altar. He arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and he laid him on top of the altar. Abraham picked up the knife to sacrifice his son. And at that moment, the angel of the Lord called from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. I think it's interesting sometimes, even in the area of tithing. Like, like I, I'm telling you, I think tithing is a biblical principle. I'm going to share my personal story with you in a second. I think it's not only found in God's Word, it's all throughout Scripture, and it still applies today. I think it'll change your life. What I'm not telling you is finances automatically get easy just because you choose to give back to God what's rightfully His. Notice that, that God didn't go, oh, you started the journey, it's cool, Y'all just, you, you ain't even got laid the house. You were going to do it, so it's all good. At the last moment, the Lord showed up. Because sometimes God will get you to the place where he's all you have so that you realize he's all you need. So at that moment, the Lord, of the, the angel of the Lord responded, Abraham, Abraham, don't harm a head on him. Don't harm the boy or lay a hand on him. Don't hurt him in any way. For now we know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son. In other words, God says that that the things that you love the most, the thing for Abraham that he loved the most was his son Isaac. Scripture teaches you and I that, that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. It doesn't say where your heart is, then your treasure follows. It says wherever you put your treasure, wherever you invest your money, whatever you give to, whatever you whatever you sacrifice, that's where your heart ultimately lies. And he says he withheld nothing from me. I wonder what your life and my life would look like if we stopped withholding things from God. If we stopped holding the area of our finances with a closed fist and said, God, you know what? I'm going to trust you with the first. I'm not going to withhold anything from you. Everything I have is yours. It says, you withheld nothing from me. And then, verse 13, then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. He took the ram and sacrifice it as a burnt offering and placed his son in place of his son. Abraham named this place Yahweh Yairo, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use the name as a proverb to say, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. I wanted to deliver this message to you today on tithing to show you that when you trust God with your first, 
he covers the rest. Abraham had to use faith to to go to sacrifice Isaac. He had to use faith to place him on the altar. He had to use faith to draw back the knife. But it's in that moment when he trusted God with the first that God covered the rest. And it's not just a principle for Abraham. You can find it all throughout Scripture. When you trust God with the first, he covers the rest. So for me, this became really evident in my life back in 2014. So my wife and I got married I had to like second think think about that for a second because if you butcher that, this is live and she'll catch me on it later. It's 2014. We get married in January and we go and we enjoy an incredible honeymoon in Tennessee and we're on the the ride home and on we cross the the North Carolina border to come back to the house and Tori gets a phone call. We find out she's just lost her job. I'm thinking, God, you ain't gonna give a brother two weeks? Like, <laughs> come on, man. I, I ain't been at work in a week. She ain't been at work in a week, and now she's going to lose her job? We ain't got no money. I said, God, what do you want me to do? He said, don't stop giving. I'm going to invite the worship team back out. But Through this story of, of just trusting God financially, it was an incredibly difficult year in the beginning because I was like, God, this money don't make sense. Like, I know you're telling me that I should give, but, but I don't think I can make it happen. He said, trust me, trust me. So we started giving. He said, God, we're going to trust you with the first. We're going to steward the rest. But just so you know, you have access to all my 90. And so we would go out to places. And I'd be, I, I remember one time we were in Ollie's, which is the bargain outlet. And, and I'm chilling. I, I, I've got me some stuff that I'm going to buy at Ollie's. And I ain't got that much money back. I'm like, oh, a couple things. And God, there's this teacher who's in front of me. I know she's a teacher because she, she's buying every like craft supply that she'll ever need before Jesus comes back. I mean, she, her, her car is loaded down. She is ready to go. And as I look at her, God says, I want you to pay for her stuff. I'm like, oh, I ain't got that much money in my account. I'm like, it's not going to work. I said, I want you to pay for her stuff. To the point, I'm arguing with God. I said, God, I'm not paying for her stuff. She swipes her first debit card, and it declines. I'm not paying for her stuff, God. She swipes her second debit card, and it declines. I'm like, oh, Yes, I'm paying for her stuff. <laughs> and so I pay for her stuff in this moment. She turns around, tears, weeping. She's so excited. And then in this moment, as we're talking about finances, and she's going, why would you do that? Because God loves you. And he has an incredible plan for your life. And she began to get so overwhelmed at the generosity that she had just received she turned around and went to the guy who was behind me and paid for his stuff. And he went to the guy behind him and paid for their stuff. And this happened for 17 people chilling in Ollie's. And we all got to experience the goodness and the generosity of God. That year was one of those years where we gave, we would go out to dinner and, and, and God would say, buy their food and we would buy their food. And we get to the end of the year and, and we get ready to do taxes and and as we're doing these taxes, my dad says, hey, man, I can't file your taxes. He said, you know, last year, you and your wife had a combined income of like fourteen dollars to $16,000. And on paper, documented, you gave away over half of it. 
how'd you live on seven grand? Because I trusted God with my first. And he covered the rest. It doesn't make sense in the natural. Faith doesn't make sense in the natural. But when you trust God with your first, he is faithful to cover the rest and pour out blessing that we never thought was possible. I want to share one more thing with you. I was doing some research this week. And it was so interesting. Barna did a study on what would happen if every Christian in America tithed. And this is what it says. If every Christian in America tithed, there would be an additional $165 billion per year added to the kingdom of God. It would take, this is a year, okay? It would take $30 billion to end world hunger and preventable diseases. It would take $15 billion to do clean water for the entire world. Another $12 billion would end illiteracy, and another $1 billion would fully fund missionaries around the world. Now, I don't math well, but here's what I do know. That's over $100 billion left over to plant churches, to advance the kingdoms, to help single moms, to help people find freedom, hope, and fulfillment in Jesus. And I can't help the rest of the world understand this message about giving God your first and trusting him to cover the rest. But what I can do is I can make sure Propel Church is a church that understands tithing. And this is not just something that I'm asking you to do. This is something my wife and I do. My wife and I from day one have been tithing at Propel Church. We give God 10%. Right now we give about 12 to 13% of our income to Propel. You say, well, well, you only had to do 10. Yeah. The scripture said that you rob God of both tithes and offerings. So for some of us, if we hold this thing closed, fisted, this other 90, God will never pour out blessing on stuff he's not in control of. We are a church that believes in tithing. Last year, Propel Church gave away 18% of its income. You say, well, I thought you only had to do 10. Yeah, we do. We give God the first. We trust him to cover the rest, but he has access to everything. And so when there were areas of opportunity that, that brought themselves, when, when there was a church planter who is launching today, I just want to, I, I didn't tell the first worship experience this, and I'm 100% out of time, but today alone, we're part of a church planting network called ARC, Association of Related Churches. Today, this weekend, we are launching 25 churches around the world this Sunday. Come on. 25 life-giving environments where people can encounter Jesus on this weekend alone in the month of January and February. We're going to launch over 150 churches because God is moving and doing something incredible. When we trust God with the first, he covers the rest and he blesses it. Two years ago, we had an operating budget where we were barely able to scrounge by and get $100,000. We were cutting corners. We were doing everything. And in just two years, that's more than doubled because we trusted God with the first and he blessed the rest of it. For you, I want that for your finances. I want that for your life. And that's why we do a 90-day tithe challenge here at Propel Church. It gives you the opportunity to do what Malachi gave us the, the, the word from, to test him. 
So here at Propel Church, the 90-day giving challenge is super simple. It's to say, maybe you've never tried tithing before and you wanna try it. God said to test him in it. So test him for 90 days. We believe that based on what we read in the scripture that he will bless you and do things in your life that you never thought were possible. However, if you get to the end of those 90 days and you feel like God hasn't blessed you, we'll give every dime of it back because we'll believe in it that much. So if you want to take that 90-day giving challenge and you say, hey, we've never tried this, but I'm willing to try it, indicate that on that card you received. Take that next step to trust God with your first. And it will require faith, but know that he will cover the rest supernaturally. Will you stand to your feet? I want to pray with you. Jesus, we love you so much, and we thank you for your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. And and Lord, we just, today as we wrap up our time together, we thank you for your word. I pray for people who are taking that next step and and are going to begin tithing and, and trusting you financially. Lord, I pray you would show them that you've got it covered. And God, I believe that there are some people in here today, when it comes to the area of tithing, that that haven't actually trusted you with their life. And so maybe today for you, today is that day where you give back to God what's rightfully his, which is your life. He created you, he made you, scripture teaches us that he knew you before you were in your mother's womb. And he has an incredible plan for your life. But his plan prospering in your life starts with you accepting his invitation with you coming to God and saying, God, I give you my life. I'm returning to you what's rightfully yours. If you're in here and you need to surrender control of your life to Jesus, we're not gonna make you come down front or anything like that. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to just boldly lift your hand real quick to say, yeah, that's me. I need to make that decision today. I see those. Here's what we're gonna do, church. Nobody's gonna pray alone. We're all gonna pray together. Will you say this with me? Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, church, will you help me celebrate with those who made decisions? Come on. We're going to continue in worship. Won't you sing this out?